Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode two of Between the Lines. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jonathan McMahon into the studio. And, and uh, hot off the press, I am holding his book, Post-Pandemic, 12 Lessons in Crisis Management. So with no further ado, uh, listen up and uh, enjoy. Hello and welcome. I've got with me today, Jonathan McMahon, who is founder of Green Arbor, a strategic consultancy and author of the Hot the Press book, post, post-pandemic, for any of you who can see this and the podcasters can't. But anyway, it's a beautiful book. It's got nice circles and all sorts of shapes. Well done, Jonathan. And welcome on to the podcast. Thank you. And just on that cover, um, yeah. that, that, that became really important because I didn't want anything to go out that my mother wouldn't be proud of. So, yes. but we got some lovely options for the cover, but I eventually I couldn't choose. So my daughters chose it for me. So all, all credit goes yeah. A to my mother and B to my daughters, just proving that on the big decisions, women should take the lead, I think. And I will put this on the front of the podcast picture just to make sure everyone can see. It's kind of like a, a pin cushion with a lot of you know pins in it, like we used to see. About yeah. eight, 80 years ago. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't th- seen that link yeah. before. Yeah. It's, um, it's obviously supposed to be the 12 lessons in crisis management bouncing off something that might look like COVID-19, but not be. So it's got this kind of dual identity, but you've given it a third identity of a pincushion. Yes, that's right. So that's great. Yes. That's super. Well, we're going to talk about your book shortly, but we had a conversation in the uh, in the back room here just now about fragrances, and that got me very excited because uh, I love smells. I've got a big nose, and uh, and you smell fabulous, by the way. So, uh, so tell me about your is it a side business or is it a yeah? Well, the pandemic has changed so much for everybody this year, hasn't it? And it, it's um, I, if you'd have asked me a year ago, would I know? anything about fragrance, the answer would have been no. In fact, they probably laughed at you and said, that's ridiculous. I've got no interest in it at all. But I was super fortunate this year to meet a couple of super talented young guys who used to work on the floor, the perfume floor at Fortnum's. And they'd perfected this methodology of helping people find the right scent for them. And obviously, you know, retail this year has been a bloodbath. You can't sell anything. You certainly can't sell perfume very easily. And so they've taken the method online and have found a way of really introducing people to some fantastic independent brands um, and helping match essentially people to to fragrances that they wouldn't have found. If you know, if you're just wandering through an airport, you know, the big brands are shoving their stuff at you, you right. know, X number five and X number six, and I, I won't mention the brands, but but these guys, you know, really int- introduce you to some fantastic fragrance uh, perfumeries, including a number actually that are based in Britain. It may surprise people to know this, but... So, so how do I do this test? What do I do? Uh... You go to www.fiol, which is F-I-O-L-E.co.uk, okay. and um, you use the Fiol Fragrance Finder, and you yeah. you will never be the same again. I've got the whole production crew here um, who are all safely masked in the background, putting their thumbs up and they want me to smell better. So I'm going to, I'm going to log into that straight after. Yeah. Guaranteed. I'm just trying to work out whether you're a kind of fresh and zesty kind of guy or or an earthy, rich kind of guy. Maybe you're both. I I lived in Paris many years. So yeah, I like, I like it all to be honest, just change it up. Yeah. Yeah, We can do that for you. So smells aside, let's, uh, 
let's dive into the fact that you stepped down as chief operating officer for St. James Place. Yeah. You've made a lot of changes. Uh, tell us a bit about what made you do that. Yeah. So I was on holiday in the summer of 2019. And um, I mean, two, two things I thought, right. I, I've done the corporate thing for quite a long period of time. And I thought, you know what, I'm not, that's, I'm not getting as much out of that as I'm putting into it. So I want to change that. And then, um, the bizarre story, but where we were staying was up in the, the hills outside Rome, this, this lovely little place and wandered into this little corner shop, a you know, classic little Italian corner shop. And up on the uh, shelves was an exercise book, which of course in Italy, you know, school, school kids exercise book, which is of course in Italy is far more beautiful than it needs to be. Right. But therefore I had to buy it, you know, this, this beautiful and, and that, I took it back. I bought a couple of biros and I just sat that afternoon outside in a garden writing. And, I, and that eventually led to the the book. So bizarre how these little moments change your life. And that sort of started this journey for me of um, what I kind of call the entrepreneurial phase of my life without wanting to be kind of pompous about it, uh, of, of helping people uh, like Josh and Sam at Field get their business set up and, and others as well. Uh, and myself do a few things that that interest me and uh, float my boat. So that that's been the the journey, and of course it's been timed to perfection completely by accident because it's happened at this transformational time for us all. Yeah, well that's well that's amazing. Um, I wish you all the best in that. And uh, I left corporate about twenty years ago as well, and uh, been out on my own, and, and I've been I've been loving it. It's such a eclectic mix of of clients and business problems and solutions and op opportunities like yeah it's been been really great for me um now you had a particular focus on the crisis in ireland and obviously your book is about um you know post pandemic and and 12 i think 12 lessons in crisis management so so, so tell me a little about the the background to the irish problem or the irish crash i guess yeah well it's funny isn't it now that um People, you know, we're living through a crisis now, and and but it was only ten years ago that we had this other existential crisis, the financial crisis, which lasted for th three or four years, and in fact, the effects lasted right through the 2010s. But right. I think people will remember that Ireland came very close to, you know, collapse. Effectively, it was it was bailed out by the IMF, and I was in Dublin at that time working for the central bank and, you know, ended up completely by accident in, in this, turned out to be this pivotal role in the middle of this firestorm, trying to save a country and its banking system that also actually by accident of history, it was also the country of my, my grandparents. So I had this sort of strange thing about going back to the country from which my grandparents had left in the 1920s sort of and being involved in its, sort of salvation in the in the early 2010s um and there, and seeing you know first hand up close and personal what really happens in a crisis both at the kind of national level the, the level that the media tends to go on about but also at the personal level that bit that we don't really cover a lot but what happens to individuals um in that situation so that's what i tried to capture in the book was the kind of mixture of the the rather dry business commercial financial stuff Right. And then the human stuff as well. Yeah. 
So, so you're, you're kind of like the man who saved Guinness at the last crash, right? Is that it? No, I'm not the man who saved Guinness, alas. Yeah. Uh, I would like to, I've drunk enough of it that okay. I could probably, probably kept, I've probably contributed. Yeah, yeah, I've kept them in business. And, right. um, but I wouldn't say I've, I'm not their salvation. There, so, there are plenty of other people doing that. So, so I did peruse your book and uh, it, it was a wonderful read. So I recommend it to everybody. Um, one of the things that you, you had a very kind of human side <clears throat> to everything, a very nice way to tell stories. And um, I think you can you can probably give some advice to leaders in crisis because obviously a lot of listeners out there are, are looking at a daunting prospect of closing the books at the end of this year and then starting a, a new roller coaster journey for 21. So um, I, I know there was a lot of really good content in the book, so maybe just throw out a couple of things for, for our listeners can use. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things, aren't there, that people have been wrestling with this year, which is trying to, leaders in particular, trying to, on the one hand, be optimistic, but on the other hand, be realistic and, and kind of walk that line between the two, because it can be easy to be too optimistic and sound flippant. Yeah. And that's certainly been a criticism of some leaders. And on the other hand, it can be, I think, very easy for people to be overwhelmed by yeah. circumstances and become a bit depressed and, and therefore fatalistic. Right. And we're trying to get the balance, you know, b between those two things. And, uh, and, and the point is, you're never going to get it completely right. But right. at least if people see you giving it a go and doing it from the heart, I think you'll get the benefit of the doubt. And then the second thing is you've got to make sure you've got people around you who tell you what's really going on. Right. You know, I mean, it's very easy for people in a leadership position to be surrounded, to find themselves surrounded by people who tell them what they want to hear. Um, and that's not a good thing, yeah? Yes, um, that's right. And, and you've got to have people around you who are willing to do that. You know, the big thing in Shakespeare, wasn't it? The kind of fool was there to tell the king he was being a bit of a moron. It was up to the king whether he listened or not. Um, but you've got to have people around you who play that role, who say, you know what, that's not really happening, this is happening. Um, or what you're hearing from that person is not quite the whole truth. And, and to have the kind of confidence to have those people around you, because ultimately that will lead to better decisions, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, your experience or even research, do you believe any countries ha are better suited to that style of leadership than others? You know, because I know you're pretty worldly, so. Well, funnily enough, um, I think, you know, we'd be parochial for a minute. I mean, the, the kind of story in the UK this year has been, super mixed hasn't it i mean it, it uk did not have a good early part of the crisis but you've got to you know pay say respect people have, have learned the lessons and they're reacting differently and it's an right. incredibly complex situation so i see people kind of learning from that has any country had a kind of better crisis than others yeah on the numbers but there are massive cultural differences between countries you can't you know draw a comparison easily between say spain on the one hand or Italy and Japan, South Korea, Thailand. I mean, they're, they're just they're just very different cultures, right? I mean, right. what's acceptable in one place is not in another. And I think it's really hard to make those comparisons. Um, right. But clearly, you know, decisions could have been taken in right. different countries that would have led to different outcomes. Right. But, you know, I think that reflects the culture of those and the kind of political norms of those countries, right? So just jumping into uh, lockdown, um, you were locked down in the wonderful English countryside um, for, I guess, six months. Um, so, so any 
Any fun stories of that? I, I know you were experimenting with your kids, uh, homeschooling and stuff. Uh, any advice to give people of what to do yeah, or not to do? Don't homeschool your kids. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would be. So I think we had that. I think everybody, I think we were at risk of forgetting actually what it was like in those early weeks because like no one knew what was going on, right? And it, yeah. it was actually quite a terrifying situation for people, I think. And yes. it was so, so different, so unusual, so unfamiliar. And I don't think we should forget that. But we, we did the kind of classic um, middle-class thing of, right, the kids are no longer in school, therefore we have to educate them. Um, but of course, there's the difference between an aspiration to do something and, and the reality. So we set up, we turned my um, office into a homeschool and that lasted all of a day, really. Um, my, we had a you know, being a guy, I thought I, I can obviously handle all the subjects like technology. And um, my middle daughter brought back some some IT homework and I realized I couldn't do it. And I thought, you know what, there's a reason why teachers are really good at teaching. I'm going to kind of leave it to them. So we went from attempting to run, you know, the kind of Von Trapp equivalent of a homeschool to something far more chilled out and relaxed. Yeah, there's only so yeah. often, there's only so long you can sort of sit there and say, yeah, get off Netflix, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, you know? I've literally watched everything as well. But uh, so, um, any tips to to keep everyone's families sane? So, so what are you what are you taking to 2021 in terms of? I'm really excited about 2021. Right, um, I think 2020 has been so difficult for so many people that 2021, just by definition, has to be better right yeah i think um a lot of people will have transformed themselves and their lives this year and their thinking and they'll they'll do things in 2021 that they had no idea in 2019 that they were ever going to do and i think that's really exciting lots of new businesses will be created um people will take different paths in in life and i think when we get to the summer and let's hope we get to the summer the weather's good We've got enough people vaccinated, so you've got the kind of whole herd immunity thing going on, that there will be this just kind of natural energy that that bursts through and we'll have this kind of fantastic summer of music yeah. festivals and comedy and all the rest of it. That's my hope. That's yes. really my hope. And that's why I brought you here, one of the most uh, optimistic guys that I've seen. And, and I agree with everything you've said, to be honest. Um, I like something you said. You said, I think I just wrote it down during one of our conversations, rendering order out of chaos rendering order out of chaos. I thought that was that was a nice way to put it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, chaos is, um, when things get muck, mucked up, when the kaleidoscope gets shuffled and the colors move around and you see things differently, right? And whether it's in your own kind of life or the kind of life of a country, um, sure, it's disruptive and sure, bad things happen, but good things come out of it. You, let's just look at the speed at which a vaccine has been produced yeah. that's wonderful that's one of the most positive things i can remember in my lifetime so if you look at the 2020s and the 2030s it seems conceivable to me if that's the rate of progress in medicine yeah they may have cured cancer by 2030 <clears throat> right and they may yeah. have a cure for that so all these you know these diseases come along they they attack us both you know physically but also emotionally but human beings overcome them and that spirit I think we've seen so much spirit during this, and I think that will carry us into yeah. the future. So I feel really positive about that. No, that's great. And in terms of leadership traits, for, for the listeners out there who've got their leadership team primed, 
for attacking 21? What kind of traits do you think I would want in my team for 21? I think that positivity, yeah, and that drive and the making up sense of making up for lost time, yeah, and going out there and right. really going for it. Because there will there are lots of new businesses out there that will become a feature of our lives in the 2020s that weren't a feature of our lives in the last decade. And that's really exciting. And I think, you know, getting your people out about and, and also going back to doing business as we used to do it. I mean, it's wonderful to be sat here at a, an appropriate, safe social distance from you talking, as opposed to be, you know, staring into a webcam. And yeah. I think I think when we see the benefits of people getting back <clears throat> and mixing together, going back to, you know, my kids and anybody else, you know, yeah. kids, them going back to school, you know, people talk about the educational impact of school being out. The massive benefit is them being back with their friends, yeah. Because it's not no. it's not cool to be locked up with your parents. No. It really isn't. No, you know, it's no, much absolutely. cooler to be in school with your friends. You know? Yeah, and my girls are still young enough; they're happy to see me. But you're right; as they get older, it gets a bit <laughs> out of control. Living with your parents in the bedroom for like nine months. But uh, yeah, just moving on. Um, we were connected through a mutual, very close friend of mine and yours, Brian. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and 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 you're part of. Uh, one of the trustees of Star College. So yeah. I just wanted to bring that up, <clears throat> which is a not-for-profit. So, Yeah, so Star College is um, essentially uh, looks after young people who have um, special educational needs, a kind of range of, of needs um, and, and often require quite intensive care. It's a wonderful place. I'd encourage anybody to go there. It's inspirational. Well, <clears throat> through this. It's inspirational what the work that they do with with these kids. And um, Brian is a, a trustee, as you say, because they have so many vulnerable young people there and they have over 800 you know, care workers and, and educational people. Managing that through a pandemic has been an absolute nightmare. And the leadership team um, have been unbelievable, um, led by David Ellis, the chief executive. And you know, for anybody who, you know, worries, has that thing about, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not fulfilled in my job or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Look at not-for-profit and <clears throat> look at what people do there. And uh, I've certainly, the, the quality of leadership from that team has been absolutely fantastic. And the level of commitment has been enormous. And I think that's because that's in their heart. That, that, that institution is in their heart and they lead from the heart and, um, they've managed through, frankly, the most difficult situation you could imagine for a leadership team of that type of institution. <clears throat> oh, pardon me. Um, so if there was one thing that we could, either of us could think of saying to, to the listeners there to get them more involved in something next year, but not for profit. I mean, what's the one line we could do to motivate them to just take action? I think we make so many decisions about our career and our professional life from the head. I think we should make many more from the heart. Love it. So where do you see opportunities of growth? Back to your, your positivity. Um, you've seen or you've studied uh, crisis before. You, you see this crisis now. What's the advice to the listeners in terms of how they formulate their 21 outlook? I, I think history is a great teacher, isn't it? And actually, you know, it's the, the great Warren Buffett uh, quotation about you know 
when everyone else is fearful, be greedy, and when they're greedy, be fearful. And I think this year would have been an awful, awfully easy time for people to say, right, I've had enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. I think those businesses that have said, you know what, we're we're here for the long term. We're going to stick this out and we're going to build will be the ones that, you know, thrive. The history of businesses that go through recessions. I mean, we're, we're both yeah. old enough to have seen a few recessions now. And we know that businesses which survive recessions thrive afterwards because they've got the mindset that keeps them going. So... I, I'm optimistic the combination of that experience, hardening up everybody, and business creation will get us through the next decade. And sure, it's going to be bumpy. You know, the public debt position is not great. Um, you know, there will be some yeah. kind of aftershocks uh, as this kind of debt uh, burden unwinds over the next 10, 20 years. But yeah, I think I... I Look at 2030, and I'm confident that we will live in a better world than we do in 2020. Absolutely. And I think something you said uh, in a previous interview with, with, with me was uh, about about putting aside what we can't control, right? We were talking about the yeah. debt. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it kind of it go, it's that um, the your listeners will be familiar with Daniel Kahneman and, and, and Amos Tversky. The, um, you know, Daniel Kahneman thinking fast, slow. Yes. You know, and, and Tversky, Amos Tversky always said, the problem with pessimism is you suffer twice, right? You suffer the apprehension of the thing and then you suffer the thing when it happens, right? Yeah. So why why put that on yourself? Yeah. Um, just, just be positive and yeah. go for it and deal with the bumps in the road as they come along because there's an awful lot of stuff we can't control. Great. Um, well, we wrap it up here. So... Um, it, it- any last things you want to uh, say to plug your book? I, I want everyone to read it. We've, we've enjoyed it. Well, um, I just say, I, I, I think what you're doing with this podcast is fantastic. So I'd actually like to plug the podcast. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's, it's great to have been invited on. It's a pleasure to, yeah. to talk to you. And um, yeah, if you want the long view of these things, read the book. And if you're feeling kind of a bit crisis jaded, read the book because you know what? Um, I think the worst of it's behind us. Yeah, and uh, but hopefully we'll have uh, listeners also emailing me in to ask a lot of questions. And obviously we're connected by the hip now, thanks to the yeah. kind introduction through a mutual friend. Yeah. Plus you smell great, so um, it's all all looking good. So thank you. Yeah, I, I urge everybody to to write in and then with any kind of questions, I would love to talk to you. So and again, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Hey, It's been yeah. a pleasure. Once again, that was, uh, that was an amazing interview with Jonathan McMahon. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for Jonathan for, for being in the studio. You've been listening to Between the Lines. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Look out for future podcasts. Absolutely subscribe and share on the platforms that you love. And uh, on future podcasts, we're, we're going to be diving into a lot of topics that are close to my heart. Energy transition, enabling disruptive innovation, um, how to empower teams and lead remotely and uh, all sorts of leadership successes. We'll see you next time.